Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. So what's happened? The Taliban says. We are assuring the safety of all those who have worked with the United States. It's an utter embarrassment. The Taliban has, in effect, in their eyes, defeated the United States of America. I stand squarely behind my decision. Terrorists in Syria, in Iraq, in Africa, they're all watching this. I'm deeply saddened by the facts we now face. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. He's deeply saddened by the facts we now face. Uh, The number one fact is that he is our president. We're all deeply saddened by that. Uh, As we speak, Biden is doing the Obama two-step. And that is when you change the subject, when you're getting lousy headlines. Right now, he's holding a press conference on covid yeah. So um, just um, just after the what Joint Chief of Staff and uh, Secretary of Defense admitted that, hey, we probably can't rescue everybody. Yeah. And, and we're royal screw ups. Yeah. Now, remember when Obama was the president and you don't have to think that far back, but a bad story would come out. They would release something that made a look somebody cor- did something corrupt or made Obama look bad. And just as the news cycle really began to get into it, the next day they would come out with a more horrendous story. Mm-hmm. And that would take the attention off the previous story. And then you'd look at that, and the next day another story would come out, which is even worse. And, and this is the Obama two-step, and this is what we're seeing right now. And any information that they really had to release, they would release about 7.30 on Friday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Friday yeah. evening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in state news, bad news up in the... Asheville area, Buncombe County, and uh, what's the next county over? Haywood. Haywood County. Uh, yeah, Haywood County. The rivers up there, Fred, the tropical storm, dumped some 12 inches of rain there on Tuesday. And now in Haywood County, officials say there's more than 30 people missing. And the Pigeon River has, uh, it is flooding big time in uh, Canton, which is in Haywood County. And there are all kinds of bridges out in Buncombe County, which is the county Asheville sits in. So it's a mess up there. It is uh, homes are destroyed, vehicles are damaged, uh, people thinking they can get through uh, what they think is a small little puddle ends up flooding the car, floating away. Uh, the News and Observer is reporting on one guy that tried to drive through a stream and ended up having to get off his car and swim to safety. So, uh, yeah, some 12 inches of rain, according to North Carolina's Weather Authority. Yeah, I text um, actually three people I know in different parts of western North Carolina today, and luckily they didn't have any, you know, serious problems. But they they were like from 6 to 12 inches uh, was their rain totals in just a matter of a couple of hours from that. Yeah, uh, up in uh, Black Mountain, I've got a sister-in-law that lives up there. She uh, got 8.35 inches wow. in... Uh, over the day yesterday. Yeah, I think there was flooding downtown Black Mountain, I believe. Was Is that right? I think so. That's Would that be the Swannanoa River, I think? Uh, I'm trying to think. Is it, I mean, I, I can't remember if there's actually a, a large... There, There is a... a uh, well, it might be a river today. <laughs> <laughs> I, normally, I think of it as more of a creek, but it might be a river today. The News and Observer is reporting the North Carolina House budget approved last week includes... $5 million, what's described only as the Uptown Greenville Project, 
What's interesting about this is neither Representative Brian Farkas or Candy Smith, who represent Pitt County, know anything about it. They didn't request the money. They weren't involved, they said. Apparently, the Uptown Greenville project is earmarked. Well, it's not earmarked for any specific group, but apparently it is for redevelopment. And um, I'm trying to see the name of the individual that requested the money. Um, Greenville City officials referred questions about the money to the office of Tim Moore, House Speaker, where a spokeswoman said Representative Jason Sane from Lincoln County and one of the House top budget, budget writers requested the project. Sane, whose House District is four, hour, four hours from Greenville, said the provision stems from a conversation he had at a luncheon with business leaders. I talked to some folks in Greenville that said they were trying to redevelop an area and that could connect uh, downtown with the East Carolina University campus. He said, yeah, there's lots of money from the feds for redevelopment. Apparently, this project is going to qualify for it. So uh, there's a check for $5 million coming to Greenville. Uptown Greenville is the name of the city downtown development nonprofit group. Its executive director, Meredith Hawk Desco, said the $5 million is aimed at a planned hotel and food hall called the Ficklin, Mm. which apparently was announced last December and is supposed to uh, break ground sometime next spring. I break ground, but I'm not sure which tobacco warehouse they're talking about because one of the main tobacco warehouse, well, a couple of them have uh, been torn down in recent. Uh, there was an old, um, it was old tobacco house there named Ficklin, I believe, <clears throat> back w- in the day. Was, was that the one that used to be next to the uh, <clears throat> furniture store there on uh, mm. 10th Street? Mm, mm, maybe. I don't know. That's what, that predates. Uh, if someone's listening and knows something about this, give us a call, 561-8255. And did you just say Candy Smith didn't know anything about it? Well, but, yeah, that and lots of other things. Uh, well, she, well, she's, <laughs> she's busy keeping up with what uh, Governor Cooper tells her to vote for and against, I guess. So. Yeah, no. So uh, a $5 million check is coming. At least they admit that they had nothing to do with a $5 million check coming to Greenville. Mm. It had nothing to do with the legislators. It had everything to do with the business leaders. That's usually how things get done. Mm. Just saying. Yeah. Contrast that with a where they brag about how many jobs they created. Yeah. They yeah. like that term. So, child marriage. How old were you when you got married, Benny? Twenty-five. Oh, okay. Well, you, yeah, this wouldn't affect you then. Between twenty-four and five. North Carolina is only one of two states that specifies children as young as 14 can marry if they become pregnant. Lawmakers in both houses in the Senate made a bipartisan effort to end child marriage in North Carolina altogether, but couldn't get their colleagues to support the original bill. Instead, the senators found a compromise that allows 16 and 17-year-olds to continue marrying as long as their spouse is four years older or less. So, you know, the, the controversy behind this apparently is you had... Young girls getting pregnant, and uh, sometimes by males that were considerably older than them, mm. and uh, ended like up Utah. Well, <laughs> anyway, uh, it Sorry. is now uh, that that is now changing, and uh, so if you're now your wife was uh, considerably younger than you, though, right? Yeah, couple <laughs> couple years, couple years. <laughs> couple of years. I, I won't press you on that one. 
So in Afghanistan, by the way, before we get into the Afghanistan, and, and uh, j- just a note, we're going to take a break here in a minute, probably in the middle of our Afghanistan uh, report, and uh, we're going to be talking to Jim Perry, Senator Jim Perry, on uh, what's going on with the uh, state budget as well as with uh, the drawing up of the new maps based on the latest census information. But I do want to mention, uh, I've got an email And it was originated by a woman who was a missionary in in Chihuahua, Africa. There is a place called Chihuahua, Africa. Her name is Judy Carmana. And uh, this official request is pray for the 229 Christian missionaries who Mm. have been sentenced to death tomorrow by Afghan Islamists. Pass this message on and uh, get as many people praying as possible. Uh, Hopefully the whole world will be in prayer for these folks. Um, apparently, the Islamic jihadists have uh, taken over the largest Christian city in Iraq. Now, this is not, I said, did I say Afghan? Uh, well, I guess they came across the line, perhaps, into Iraq, and have taken over the uh, town of Kuragash, a Christian city in Iraq hmm. where there are hundreds of Christian men, women, and children who are going to be beheaded tomorrow, according to this. I think that's just to the southwest of Afghanistan, Afghanistan I believe. <clears throat> so, uh, and say a prayer. I mean, literally put this on your prayer list, folks. I mean, when you, when you say grace before you have <laughs> your dinner tonight, when you go to bed at night, Please say a prayer for these folks. Uh, I mean, we are talking life and death. We are talking bloodthirsty barbarians that have no respect for life at all. Uh, In fact, earlier today, the Taliban faced its first street protest, and uh, it was in the northeast city of Jalalabad, Taliban fighters there apparently raised the jihadist flag for the Taliban. And individuals who lived in Jalalabad came out in protest where they wanted to put the national flag of Afghanistan back up. And uh, apparently there was a good crowd out there protesting. Um, Several of them lost their lives as they opened fire into the crowd. What was the name of that city again over uh, in Iraq from Afghanistan? Uh, the name of the city was uh, Quaragosh, Q-U-A-R-A-G-O-S-H, Quaragosh. Mm. Our uh, Benny the Sidekick is looking on his map right now. Um, I, I think that's where it is. I think I've seen it before, <clears throat> a little to the southwest. Truly, um, we live, was it um, Robert yesterday? called in and talked about uh, these people that want to uh, live amongst uh, unicorn and fairy tales. <laughs> Truly, these bozos live in a fantasy land. Uh, this is cut one, Clark. United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas-Greenfield yesterday came out and uh, said that the U.S. has used, and, and the United Nations and the U.S. has used very strong-worded press statement and it originates from the U.N. Security Council, very strong, to tell the, uh, the repressive Taliban it must respect women's rights and humanitarian law. 
as the reports of violent repression against women and U.S. allies by the Taliban alarm the globe. Thomas Greenfield told CNN Wolf Blitzer the U.S. would be watching closely. We have expressed in no uncertain terms here at the United Nations through a very strongly worded press statement from the Security Council that we expect the Taliban to respect human rights, including the rights of women and girls. We have also indicated that they have to be respectful of humanitarian law. <laughs> no. Hmm. Since when has anyone listened to the United Nations about anything? Well, they're going to listen less now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, these people are clueless. I mean, mm-hmm. have they have they had their heads up their rears for the last twenty years? I, how can you be this stupid and be a, an ambassador to the United Nations? Mm. <laughs> What's her background? Let me see. She's from Harvard. <laughs> no, I don't know. And United Nations Ambassador Linda Thomas Greenfield. The Thomas Greenfield is a uh, hyphenated name. Actress Patricia Heaton uh, summed up the feelings of many critics at this clip, simply writing, what? <laughs> yes, all that. <laughs> uh, Tom Carton sa- Cotton said this can't be real. Unbelievable. Uh, the Biden White House is right there with her, though. I mean, Jen Psaki said the Taliban needed to consider its role in the international community. Mm. And this is the press secretary for the White House. Do you really think that they don't want to have anything to do with the world community? They want to annihilate the world community if they had their way. Let's see. They harbored every major terrorist in the last 25 years, 25 or 30 years in the world. So I don't think they really care about women's rights. By the way, did you see that the one of the chief Taliban zealots is— over there in Afghanistan, leading the, 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 the Taliban forces, he was one that got released from Gitmo in the uh, trade for Bo Bergdahl. Bergdahl, yeah. Thank you, President Obama. That was not a good trade. <laughs> you think? Can we trade him back? We'll give you Bergdahl, give us a back, and we'll put him back in Gitmo. Well, listen, he was the guy that, didn't he release uh, intelligence information with the U.S. or something? Uh, I don't remember that I don't much remember, detail. But, uh, but no. thank you, thank you, uh, President Obama. Hey, we've got to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Senator Jim Perry. We're going to be talking about uh, a number of things, including the uh, way w- our new maps are going to be rezoned. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back again. We're talking about the uh, new hotel going in downtown uh, Greenville, the Fickling, in which there was a $5 million grant. <laughs> That's a gr- I guess technically you call it a grant. Your taxpayer funds will somehow go into it. But... Um, I mean, they're handing it out. I guess it's just as well that Greenville gets some, right? I, I shouldn't say that, though. I mean, you, you got to have to pay this money back. Our grandkids are going to have to pay this money back. I, it, you know, it'd be nice if we could just say, no, nah, we're not going to spend it, and we'll just somehow give it down to our grandkids. Anyway. Well, Greenville may not have to pay it back, but tax somebody. Somebody Somebody, somebody will. But uh, David Horn, 
who is a familiar name if you listen to ECU Sports, um, he, he uh, texted me and said it's the old Ficklin Warehouse on uh, near 9th Street. And I had forgotten that was down there, but uh, that sort of looks like a hotel. I mean, it's a, uh, I guess it's the, uh, the office building that went along with the uh, warehouse. Looks like it's three stories high. It's a pretty good-sized building, so uh, apparently that's going to be redone into a, a nice food hall and hotel. A lot of bricks in that building. There are a lot of bricks in that building. <laughs> Take a look at your weather forecast. Tonight, a chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly before 9, a low around 74. It was actually on the way in. The sun was out, and the blue sky was uh, coming through here in the Greenville area. Um, Thursday night. Um, well, tomorrow there's a chance of thunderstorms after 2 o'clock. Otherwise, sunshine high near 92. Then tomorrow, pretty much the same uh, carbon copy of what we're going to have tonight, a 30% chance of rain low in the low to mid-70s. Friday, showers and thunderstorms likely after 2 p.m., a high near 89. So, uh, unfortunately, a lot of wet in the forecast, but uh, the temperatures are a little bit more moderate. Weather brought to you by our friends at Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Voted best golf course in Greenville two years in a row. Ironwood Golf and Country Club boasts an 18-hole Lee Trevino design course, full-service dining and outdoor pool, tennis, and more. Our newly renovated 15,000-square-foot clubhouse is the perfect place to make new traditions with your family. For a limited time, join Ironwood, pay zero initiation fees. Give them a call, 252-752-4653. Find out what makes Ironwood the best of Greenville, 252-752-4653. So it is, uh, once again, that time where the census information is in, late, better late than never, I guess. To talk about that, to talk about the budget, North Carolina State Senator Jim Perry, who serves Lenore and Wayne County District 7 in the North Carolina Senate, is with us right now. Jim, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So uh, the, the next two big items that I guess you all are wrestling with would be, one, the budget, and then, two, putting out the new uh, district maps for any, anything from the town council, I guess, to the United States Congress. Uh, the, probably the easier, faster question to ask you is about the budget. We were talking about that earlier in the week, and it sounds like you actually have a bipartisan budget that Democrats and Republicans, so far they voted for it. I guess the question is, will the final vote be a a super veto-proof majority? Yeah, and that's that's always the the million-dollar question. Uh, We had uh, nine Democrats vote for the budget in the House. We need three to uh, make it veto-proof, and uh, we had four in the Senate, and we need two to make it veto-proof. But, you know, those those initial votes, while they're important and I I think they're a great signal, you know, it's like having a a check for a million dollars. What what really matters is when that check clears (laughs) and the the money's in the bank. So we you know, we continue to engage in conversation and you don't start working on uh, potential veto overrides during budget season. I mean, you you start doing that a year in advance and uh, you work on. Relationships and understanding what the, you know, what, what, what individuals need in their districts, you know, what's going to be so important to their people and, and kind of where they are. And you have to build, you have to build as much trust as you can. What do you see as the highlights, especially for Eastern North Carolina in this budget? Oh, the, the amount of infrastructure uh, spending that is available is, is phenomenal. 
you know, for, for Eastern North Carolina. And I'm talking about the things that aren't you true, know, true infrastructure, yeah, real. Infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Real, real infrastructure. I'm not talking about uh, baby centers and, and house cleaners. Um, you know, the, the amount of uh, wastewater uh, treatment money that we have, you know, pipes under the ground, it just, they, they aren't a sexy topic and people, you know, they're slow to invest in them over the years. And, as we've lost populations and, and had, uh, as we've lost population, had fewer users on those systems, you know, it became harder and harder uh, to to have an, enough revenue generated to take care of it. So, having having dollars available for that, we you know we've got some huge construction projects uh, available. Uh, we've got some transformational dollars for the Global Trans Park at a Brody School of Medicine uh, investments uh, in the Trans Park to help expand the the footprint so to speak, for FRC East and support our military. You know, that transport has been a boondoggle for so many years, yeah. and I, I'm really excited to see the, the path they're on now and, and catering to uh, that military space and sector. And, that you know, that's just something that, that's good for our entire state. Our, our military is our, our second-largest economic driver. Uh, but could you imagine what would happen if we, we have declines, continued declines in farming and military in eastern North Carolina? Uh, so it's a big deal to be able to provide some things that they uh, can't get anywhere else. So, you know, the, the infrastructure spending uh, that we have, the, the additional projects that we have available. But one of the biggest things my constituents are excited about is the, the flood mitigation. You know, depending upon where you add it up, you, you could see projects uh, totaling several uh, hundred million dollars uh have been proposed but what we realize we need a comprehensive blueprint going in and early discussions with the house have been very positive on that we we're tired of hearing people talk about it we want to make some progress you know i think of the town of trenton it seems like once every 10 years they they get flooded out i mean those are the kind of things that we're going to actually come in and do something that's a little bit more permanent a little bit more uh, steadfast and and that we don't have these you know decade old i mean you know a lot of floods say well this is once every 500 years it seems like trenton is once every 10 years yeah so and the the thing we want to do is approach it in a very comprehensive manner and have a have a real plan in place louisiana is the gold standard in the united states in terms of comprehensive flood planning and resilience and um you know just buyouts buyouts solve some problems for some people but when we lose the tax base we lose the population people you know lose the ability to live where they want to live that's not a good long-term fix i don't know if you guys paid attention to the census data but you know we're already hard hit in eastern north carolina with population losses over the last decade uh and we we can't we can't allow this to continue we can't stop it but we can certainly uh, mitigate it and, and ease some of those impacts and, and help our, our citizens. Yeah, uh, Jim, I was reading earlier in the week that uh, seems like you and uh, Representative John Bell from Wayne County has been working hard on this flood mitigation. And, and I, th- I think it's something that, you know, eastern North Carolina, I, I'm as pro-development as anyone. I'm a, I'm a capitalist, but, you know, there's been so much development west of us um, that eastern North Carolina, I mean, hey, we – we're where everything flattens out, and 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 we're, I mean, I think we're, you know, getting the brunt of the the development runoff and everything down this way. And it's glad to see that you guys are working so hard to, because everybody's talked about it, but nobody's done anything to. I think since you got until you guys got in the middle of it. You know, I'm I'm lucky to have um, John Bell as the, the House Majority Leader, and he, you know, he's he's such a good friend. 
Uh, we got such a, a, a trustful relationship, but you know he's a, he's a powerhouse over there. It's good to have him, and and I think you know one thing when you you look at the folks involved here, and I've got Senator Danny Britt, I've got Representative Brendan Jones, Representative Chris Humphrey, uh, I've got Democrats, I've got uh, Brian Farkas over in Pitt County, Don Davis has been helping. The the difference for us and Mike Lazara down in uh, in Onslow. Uh, as a Republican, but the, the difference for us is we've lived through this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we've looked people in the eyes who, who have water coming into their homes or folks have been displaced for, I don't mean months, I mean years. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's very real. And uh, we, <laughs> we've been uh, holding together well during this process, and we've got some great general agreement on directionality with the House, and we want to, uh, we want to plant a flag and, and make a difference. Well, you know, when you talk about these things that are the, the, the infrastructure pieces, especially the flood mitig- mitigation, which it's 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 really not an option. I mean, it's a necessity if, if we're going to continue to, you know, inhabit eastern North Carolina. Yeah. How how could the I mean, he could do it, but how could the governor possibly veto this and 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 you know, live, live to see another day, another <laughs> political day. Uh, I, well, first of all, I, I don't think he's going to veto the budget. Okay. Now, you know, I don't know all things, but I, like you, I, I think it would be very hard. But the, the biggest reason I think he's not going to veto the budget is I, I believe that there's been a number of Democrats who uh, tried it his way last time and stood with him, and it didn't work out well. And, you know, they are accountable to their constituents. And some of them have, have looked me in the eyes and, you know, I'm, I'm the whip. I count the votes. So I, I know where they are and what conversations they've had internally. But this is a budget unlike one we are likely to see again in our lifetime um, with the mix of state and federal dollars. I frankly hope we don't see the federal dollars again because I, I worry about that. Right. But even state dollars, you know, we've got – We've got so much cash uh, available for meaningful projects. I'm, I'm not talking about building a, a bridge to nowhere. I mean things that, you know, for basic necessities and life needs and, and, and things that we really need to do to, to make life livable for our, our folks, especially in the eastern part of the state. Let me take you back to the Transpark uh, just for a moment before we get into the redistricting. I'm... I, what how is this the allocations that you've got set aside for the Transpark? Is it going to look significantly different? Is there going to be a paradigm shift in how the Transpark is currently being used, or is this just an expansion of what is already there? So uh, it's a it's a change in philosophy, and it, it it's funny as we looked at the original plan that they, they talked about uh, focusing on the military, and I, and I think that we somewhat lost sight of that over time and it's a focused effort instead of chasing manufacturing projects which frankly we don't have the workforce for uh we don't have the amenities in our community to get a lot of uh, large companies to up and move here overnight plus it's so competitive um they they really it's a brilliant strategy i give credit to uh john rouse and mark pope and, and their their board um they saw this this window of opportunity uh, and and they're in proximity to the bases. So if if you think about FRC East being the, the largest private employer east of 95, 
and the needs that our military footprint has in terms of, of being a, a MRO or, or a maintenance organization to keep mm-hmm. those planes in the air, mm-hmm. keep the helicopters in the air, keep them painted, uh, the, the type of skill that it takes for those folks. They've only got so much room uh, down in Onslow County. Well, we've got available room and also uh, military construction dollars, MILCON dollars are, are tough to come by at the federal level. So the, the Transpark has the ability to float bonds, and they can borrow money very inexpensively and build buildings that the military can't get with, with MILCON money right now and uh, get a, a premium on the lease from the federal government. Well, it also expands that footprint. It, it protects, makes us more protected from BRAC because, you know, we've got all of these resources here in close proximity that because they're close together, you don't spend a lot of money flying from location to location. I mean, right. it's it's just a great strategy, and they needed it. You know, they're somewhat landlocked down there. Um, moving the, the Hueys uh, up to uh, Seymour Johnson makes room. I'm moving up to GTP makes room for uh, F-35s down there, adding a new line. Uh, we have additional jobs for folks with that skill set. We keep them here in the state. You know, we're working hard to get a uh, – a tax cut path for those who are military retirees to try to get rid of state income tax for them. We are trying to be as military friendly as possible. And I think that the, uh, the transport finally has a, a plan and a pathway that is, is executable. Would you uh, expect there to be a mix of civilian and military at the transport once this is up and running? Yeah, you know, what we have now with, uh, with FRCEs is government contractors, you know, so it's, it's civilian employees. Uh, so I, I would always think that, that would probably be the, the largest sector. Right. It'd be folks serving and supporting um, the military. So the military would probably just be shuttling the uh, planes and helicopters in and out while civilians would be working on them, I'm assuming. Simple way, yeah, simple yeah. way to think of it. We also have some uh, agricultural possibilities and tie-ins that I know uh, Norris Tulsa, the chair of the board, has been working on. So I'm, you know, I'm finally excited about this. I remember years ago seeing an announcement about 50,000 jobs, I think by, can't remember if it was 1990 or 2000, but you know, clearly we've, we've fallen a little short of that. But it uh, it is cash flowing. It's doing well. Got a great plan and many things on the way. Well, I, I ran for the state senate back in '96, and the the they had already started the project, and it was right in those controversial years. Or you know, what are we going to do with this thing? I was at at the time. I said, well, let's turn it into a uh, an amusement park, and I was I was serious at the time. You know, let's let's open a Bush Gardens or something like that because it yeah. wasn't working uh, on, on the original plan. But yes. It has turned, and and now it is making a profit. Um, Senator, can you hang with us? We've got to take a break, but I want to talk about redistricting. Can you hang with us for a couple of minutes? Yeah, sure can. Okay. Stay with us. We'll be back with Senator Jim Perry right after this. Yeah, there's a couple of um, contractors out there now. One of them's uh, Dracar. I know some of those guys. They're they're the guys that do the, uh, or Draken is the name of the company. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. 
Tom Lamprecht, Benny Hardy, and our special guest is Senator Jim Perry. We're talking uh, budget. We're also talking redistricting. Um, the other big project, Senator Perry, is going to be coming up with the new maps, everything from, I guess, town council to uh, state senate, state house, and uh, congressional seats. Uh, this is a big project. It used to be sort of a slam dunk, dumb, dumb dunk project when uh, the Democrats were in charge because nobody ever challenged them. But now we got to jump through all kinds of hoops. And I guess they're, one of the new things that is just sort of redeveloped out of that lawsuit, uh, I don't know, was back in the late 80s, where now you've got to keep uh, counties intact for the House and the Senate, uh, for the state offices. Uh, you've got quite a, uh, quite a challenge in front of you. Yeah, it's um, it, it stems back from uh, back in, in 2001 that redistricting period, and you're you're exactly right. It was always a layup uh, because they were, you know, it was all Democrats. It was Democrat supermajorities, probably 110 of 140 years, and they uh, typically controlled both chambers and the uh, and the governor's mansion. But in 2001, the Democratic majorities uh, began drawing the state house and state senate districts intent on maintaining their majorities and they the house and senate plans um you know they (laughs) went to great lengths to favor the party drawing the map and they divided 51 of north carolina's 100 counties so a little over half um the the house plan split 68 counties so over Mm two-thirds um and you know, dividing the district, the districts were kind of a, a new thing. Before 1982, they, they kept them whole uh, because the original version of the 19 or the 1776 version of the Constitution prohibited dividing counties. That was known as the whole county provision. Right. So after those 2001 maps came out, uh, actually a guy from Eastern North Carolina, uh, Ashley Stevenson from Washington, filed a lawsuit and asked the courts to enforce the constitutional provision. So the Stevenson litigation um, paved the way for that. He, he prevailed. And there, there's really three key pieces of that legislation. One is they said, hey, determine the perfect population for each district. So with 50 Senate districts, you take the total state population, you divide it by 50. Back then, the ideal population for Senate district was just under 90,000. Um, I mean, just under... Uh, uh, 86,000 for a state house and, and 208 for a uh, state senate district. Now, mm-hmm. back then, it was probably about 20,000 less each one. Mm-hmm. But you're allowed to deviate. So if, if the ideal senate district is 208,788 people, you're allowed to be plus or minus 5%. So you get a little leeway. Most people don't realize you can't redistrict with a house or change a road and put it in. You have to do it by a uh, census block. So, you know, it, it can get a little tricky. But um, the Stevenson decision tells us that county groupings are permitted to contain more than one legislative district. So if you have some county groupings that group together perfectly and you have uh, six lawmakers in it, like the the Mecklenburg districts are indicated this time, um, you know, you multiply six times uh, 208,000, and that's uh, 1.25 million. So anyway, you can have six lawmakers there. So... Stevenson tells you you got to go through the map and, and systematically find the most one-county groupings. And if tied on one-county groupings, then the most two-county groupings. 
and if tied on one and two county groupings, then you can group three counties together. So a- as you could imagine, as you do this systematically, it the map draws about 85% of itself, and I'm just using a, a rough average. In fact, uh, an algorithm was used by a team of Duke data scientists, and it, the information was released last week by a, a, a political group, uh, the differentiators, uh, um, Jim Blaine and Ray Martin, and they independently verified the, the work that the Duke data scientists sent out. And uh, they have you know, shown what they would predict are the uh, most effective House and, and Senate um, groupings that would happen. You know, but most folks don't remember that that happened because of the Democrats in 2001 were challenged on the constitutionality of, of what they were doing. Folks, folks tend to have a short memory. The maps were redrawn uh, for the 02, 03 year. Uh, in fact, the 03 maps are what Republicans won uh, majorities on in the 2010 election going into uh, 2011. So that was a Democrat map. Taken place in North Carolina. If you think back to like the days of Jim Martin, Jim Martin used to win like 67 counties, or Jim Hunt. Jim Hunt won about 67, 68 counties. Roy Cooper wins 28 or 29 counties. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Our state has has changed. Uh, some would say, but um, I'll say that I think that the Democrats have changed. You know. You can say what you want, but Mark Bassnight and Tony Rand and those guys who, who ran the Senate for so long, they were business-friendly Democrats. Right. And, you know, they were they were your typical Southern Democrat that, you know, you get east of 95 still. Uh, from, from where I live in Lenore County to the coast, there's really not a lot of daylight in between uh, Southern Democrats and Republicans as compared to what the difference is in a Wake or Mecklenburg County. So... You know, they they changed. Their views became a little more radical in many instances, uh, and, and I think it's just changed the, the makeup of the state. Um, people who say, hey, we're about a 50-50 state, it should be about 50-50 on the number of folks in the Senate and the number of folks in the House regarding their political party, they really don't understand the laws that we work under, and it's done by district, you know, not raw population. I also don't think they understand. We have criteria where we don't use uh, political data or racial data uh, when drawing these districts. Uh, we don't have access to it. We sit in a room, it's on a computer displayed to the public. That, that's the way it happened uh, the last time we drew them. And I believe, based on the current kind of criteria, that's exactly how it's going to end up happening this time. So, so when you have uh, multiple counties making up a district, do the, all those counties have to be contiguous? Yes, you, you can't have a point contiguity. So you, you, it can't just be touching it at one point. Uh, we, you know, you have to make efforts to not, and I'm not using the exact verbiage, but, you know, you want to keep cities whole. Um, you you right. want to work hard to do that. Communities of interest, you want to keep them whole. Um, and, you know, you want to be as, as compact as possible. There's different measuring skills for that. Now, so it doesn't sound like you really have the option of doing what the Democrats did as you have to keep these counties whole. It sounds like, as you said earlier, it's going to draw itself. But despite that, or thankfully for that, uh, Jim Blaine and Ray Martin, who uh, run Differentiators Analysis, they've come out and said that 
they think that this is going to be a uh, good upcoming decade for Republicans in the House and the Senate. They they have, and and what they did that there's some some uh, there's an algorithm that's publicly available. If you have the skill set, you can download it, run it yourself, and it was actually developed by a team of, of data scientists from Duke University. So Martin and Blaine just used it, ran the data through it when it came out, and uh, they independently verified the data scientists' work. And yeah, it you know it, it does look good, and I hear people who don't understand the redistricting process. You know they. they the, the term gerrymandering is like ketchup. People put it all over everything. <laughs> uh, but when you when you realize how this process works and, and how uh, restrictive it is, I mean, because of the Stevenson ruling, I, I personally believe in, in looking at some of the work that's been done by this algorithm that uh, – I think 85% of that map draws itself. Yeah. Hey, real quickly, I only got about a minute left before we've got to draw it to a close. But when it comes to the congressional seats, the congressional districts, we've got an additional seat this year. We'll have our additional district. We've got 14 now. Uh, any any insight information uh, that you can give us on that, where it will go, or how it's going to affect these other districts? No, no, no idea. I, I okay. haven't seen anything be released on that, and we haven't started uh, the process here. I'm just looking at what's out there publicly available, um, and and trying to understand, you know, what they have projected. Well, your work begins, uh, Senator Jim Perry. Thank you, sir, for joining us. It's always uh, good to have you with us, and uh, you give us a boatload of information. So, thanks for your work on the budget, and uh, roll up your shirt sleeves, get ready on this uh, redistricting. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, you Jim. Have a great Thank uh-huh. you, Jim. we got to take it down. From the governor on down to the city council, we've got your updates on all things COVID and more. For the latest on the outbreak. On Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Now, back to news and views. Welcome back in. Our thanks to uh, Senator Jim Perry. He is... Uh, Always uh, willing to come on with us and uh, always gives us plenty of time. The Rasmussen, actually several different surveys have come out on uh, Cousin Eddie. The Rasmussen report, uh, their tracking poll for Wednesday shows that 46% of likely U.S. voters approve of Joe Biden's job performance, 54% disapprove. The latest figures include 26% who strongly approve of Joe Biden and the job he's doing, 45% who strongly disapprove. This gives uh, President Joe a presidential approval rating, rating index of minus 19. Come on, man. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Joe. It's just it's what Rasmussen said. Um, and, of course, again, he had his uh, ice cream cone and uh, COVID press conference this afternoon. Don't know whether he took any uh, questions from the uh, press on Afghanistan uh, I doubt it, but uh, we'll have to watch the news tonight. And only only the questions that were planted. That oh, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? <laughs> our music just disappeared on us here, Clark. Clark, our producer. What What happened, buddy? <laughs> Are we still on the air? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Zombie. I played that thing and it killed the audience. Live radio. Bye bye. Yeah, that was on me. I didn't realize I had it on the same channel.